All right, beautiful. Uh, today on the show, I wanted to get someone on to help me break down some of the terminology that goes over my head, especially, but also some of the listeners that don't understand a lot of the terminology around property investing and just property in general. So Brendan Kelly is joining me today. He's from Results Mentoring. So how are you, sir? Indeed, I am well. Thank you. Thank you for inviting me along. If we could just start with a brief intro of who you are and what you do uh, for any listeners that may not have heard of you before. I actually do quite a number of things. So um, I am an author. Uh, I've written a book uh, a while ago now. Uh, mm. I write articles every now and again for blogs. Um, I am a property investor. So I've been buying into properties for quite some time, more than two decades now. Um, I am a commercial developer. So I run a uh, commercial development company. Uh, we've got a couple of projects on at the moment, um, multi-storey apartment blocks. Mm. Uh, I run a company called Property Predictions, which is a company designed for the interpretation of um, data so, and statistical analysis on housing right. markets, uh, which allows me to then indicate or allows me to determine what's happening in a suburb at any one time and where that suburb might be going. Right. Uh, and I run a mentoring program. Uh, and the mentoring program that we run has been very successful, renowned in this country as um, uh, one of the best mentoring organisations for property investors uh, and has also been going for about um, a decade and a half now. Right. So uh, really good. We, we literally make millionaires, which is just awesome. That'd be a pretty rewarding experience to be a part of, I believe, I, I'd imagine, right? From, from since oh, you started. Yeah, huge. I was talking to an, a, a buyer's agent a couple of days ago for an episode and I was just asking him about, was there a moment in, in your, uh, your career where you've noticed a, a, an uptick in the amount of people looking to invest in property as a way to, to build their wealth long-term? Uh, interesting question. Probably not insofar mm -hmm. as um, people have always been interested in property to build their okay. wealth. Um, so again, a decade and a half of this now, so, um, there has been obviously ebbs and flows in, um, uh, interest and it's generally people when the, oh, sorry, generally when the market is going down, people right. are less interested in investing in property. So there's not mm. as much inquiry for mentoring support. Okay. And when the market is, uh, on its way back up, there is more interest because mm. people are on the bandwagon wanting to not miss the boat. Uh, and to learn what they can to get their property investing right in the current wave of growth. So okay. there is a sort of a market influence on it. Uh, what I find is uh, those who are most dedicated to it, it doesn't matter the market that you're in when you start. There is a way to make money through property in any and every market, mm. uh, depending upon the strategy you adopt. But I wanted to break down the idea of a buyer's market and a seller's market because it's something that I only started trying to understand over the last year or so since being part of the business with my dad. And I just wondered if that's something we could sort of go uh, dig into a little bit and provide some breakdowns of what those two markets are and if there are any other types of markets or if it's just those two. Sure. Um, there's a way... So through property predictions, uh, we've needed to do an assessment on statistics, uh, wanted to do an assessment on statistics. And in the back of that, we've gone, well, how do we identify different markets? 
And basically, you can identify different markets by the amount of change occurring within that market at any one time. We isolated out five different types of markets, one being stressed. Now, a stressed market is where property prices are falling in excess of 10% per year. Buyer's markets are property prices or are markets, suburbs, where property prices are falling single digit, so between, say, 2 and 10%. Mm. A neutral market is a market where there's not really much price variation at all, plus or minus 2%, let's call it. A seller's market, a seller's market is where there is some heat in the market and um, people are looking to buy and prices are going up, but they're going up single digits, 2 to 10%. Okay. And then there are booming markets. And booming markets are where the property prices are climbing in excess of 10% per annum. Mm. And we've identified those markets for simplicity so that we can under, understand then the nature of, um, I guess, the nature of the market you're walking into to buy or sell a property. Now, what determines the movement in those markets, what determines the median price comes down to a conversation between uh, supply and demand. So properties are just like any other product. If you are selling widgets, you know, marketing 101, if you are selling widgets and widgets are in demand, but you can't get them, then the price per widget will go up. Right. Because people are wanting to buy them and they go, no, no, I'll pay a dollar. No, I'll pay a dollar 20. No, I'll pay a dollar 30. Okay. And the price for widget goes up. If there is an abundance of widgets on the market, then it is the people selling the widgets who go, no, take my widget, take my widget. And I'll, I'll drop the price. I'll, I'll not a dollar. I'll do it at 90 cents. Oh, I can do better than that. I'll sell my widget for 80 cents and prices come down. Mm. So desperate vendors drop house prices and prices go down. And that happens mostly when listings, the number of properties on the market is more than the people looking to buy them. Mm. And flip that around, property prices go up when there are more buyers than there are houses on the market to satisfy that demand. And people bid at auctions and bid aggressively in order to win the property that they want to live in or property in the area that they want to be. Something that's sort of being pushed in the media at the moment, I guess, uh, is this idea that uh, the whole Australian housing market's booming. Uh, it's a booming market. Things are selling for up, up. Like there's been, as you stated just there, there's upwards of 10% price growth in the year. Is that something that the media has over-exaggerated or is that something that you would agree with? Because I, I hear on your seminars too that no two suburbs, even if they're right next to each other in the same postcode, are the same. And so I wondered what your thoughts were, whether the media is getting this right in their reporting or if it's a bit more nuanced than, than how it's reported. Sure. So markets are interesting beasts. It's, it's a matter of how you assess them, yeah? Okay. So you can assess them at the suburb level. You can set, assess them via councils or regions. You can assess them via city. You can assess them by a country, mm. uh, city versus country, or you can assess right. them by nationally. So nationally, we are in an aggregated sense. Now, aggregated meaning if you add up the price movement in all of the suburbs right across this country 
uh, for which statistics apply. If you add up all of the price movement, Australia is in a position of booming market right now, in excess mm. of 10%. In fact, my recent assessments suggest that on a short window of opportunity, short window of perspective, we're something in a, a rate of in excess of 25% growth per annum right now. So we're an ex- it, it is quite an extraordinary market, an uncommon mm. housing market. Last thing I'll, I'll ask about this before we move on is, in your, uh, your career, have you found any other time in history where, I guess, on a whole, the, the property market across Australia has performed this way? Yeah, um, back in the, uh, I think, 88 was the last time that this occurred uh, right. of a similar nature, similar mm. rate of growth. Uh, and that was the uh, massive growth wave that occurred in the Australian economy just prior to the dot-com crash. Mm. Um, so again, this is, this is uncommon and yeah, it's, un- well, there's a lot of people say unprecedented. I, I hate that word cause it's so overused, but <laughs> yeah. in fact, it, it kind of is. Yeah. Um, and the reason for that is because we are facing a pandemic. So the influences on the market are policy driven as opposed to market driven. Right. So the policies are, you're not allowed to go and go to auctions or you're not allowed to have your house open for listings in the major Mm. cities on Melbourne and Sydney right now, because you can't put your stock on the market, your house on the market or show it. People are saying, well, I don't want to sell it. So I'll just wait. I'll just sit on it and I'll wait until such time as I'm allowed, which means the amount of inventory on the market is really quite low, but Mm. that doesn't mean buyers don't want to buy. It doesn't mean people don't want to move. Personal um, So if you think about it, what causes demand? Movement in populations cause demand, and that's a variance. So we've had a trigger for a significant variance. So um, because of the pandemic, you've got Melbourne and Sydney and other cities of Australia, they're in lockdown. People hate lockdown. I'm going to move. So I'm actually going to pick up and move to the country where there's less people, less likely of getting sick. I'm being forced to work from home if I can. I've just identified I don't need to be in the city to work from home. I can be anywhere. Mm. And property prices are done okay. I'm going to take my windfall from good property prices in the city, go out and pay something a half or less than half in the country Mm. and have a whole pile of cash left over and just live a lifestyle working from home bring my little kids up in a safer environment. And there's a real attraction to movement. Mm. Now that's seen some massive population movements from cities to regional towns. Mm. As a result, we've got a significant increase in demand in major regional towns and somewhat of a drop of demand um, for those people in the cities. Now, some of these people are saying, well, while I've moved, I can't actually sell because I can't do an open for inspection. I'll have two houses. So they live in one and keep one empty or rent one out. Anyway, um, there's a whole pile of population movement right now, which is playing out, but that's being driven by pandemic and policy change. That will settle and so will house prices. Yeah, But okay. we are in a lift in an aggregated sense across the country. We are in a significant rise right now as a result of policy changes for uh, in as a consequence of the pandemic. Oh, how, your, 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 your first question, is the media right? The media is mm. broadly right. 
Um, now I, I get it. They sensationalize. It's all about clickbait. Yeah. Come and watch me. Come and watch me. And get you pay for my advertising. Um, but the media has broadly got it right. Don't necessarily read a headline and call it a truth because mm. it's not. Um, don't read an aggregated sense of headlines and call them truths because broadly <laughs> they're not either. Right. Um, you've got to make your own assessment. And you can do so by looking at the number of sales and the number of listings in a suburb and, and monitor that for a period of time to find out what's happening. Okay. All right. We'll move on to another, another, I guess, a terminology thing that I've, I've noticed you yep. guys know quite a lot about, right. And it's, it's, it's talking about ways to imp- let's, we're going to jump ahead several steps, right? Imagine you've got your own property. You've, you've got an investment property and there's, there's, uh, there's room and you're ha- you've got hope for, improving the value the, of your property where, where that might be. So if the value of the house, let's say is worth 500K and you want to try and up that. So it, the selling value might be a lot higher. Um, and you also might want to be able to get a higher rental return if you're renting that place out. What are some simple considerations that uh, could help you on that, on that path to trying to improve the overall value of an investment property? Because that's something that I hear you guys talk a lot about that I, I really find informative the way you explain it. It's very easy to understand. Is this on the premise that you're looking to buy something to do it up or something you already own to do up? Let's say something I already own. Okay, great. Yeah. So on the premise you've got your own home or you've got an investment property, and um, you're looking to increase its value. Generally speaking, uh, the idea is you would, well, how would you do that? Basically, it's through cosmetic renovation. Um, But the dilemma you face is is how you realise the money. Okay, so what do I mean by that? If I live in a house, let's say, and I want to increase its value, then um, you can do cosmetic renovations. So you can paint the place, you can replace the carpet, um, you can uh, do the garden. Street frontage is really powerful for lifting value. Mm. Um, You can uh, add a bedroom, you can build up, you can spend a lot or spend a little bit, but anything you do on your house broadly adds value to the house, which is great. But how do you realise that value? Now, if you're continuing to live there, then you're not really realizing that value. And it doesn't make any difference anyway, unless you're going for a loan um, and you're looking for a loan to do something else with, or you're looking to access some equity out of your home. We call that refinancing. So if you are living in your house and your house is just a standard, average, normal, comfortable place, and you're looking to increase the value uh, in order to borrow or increase your loan on it, um, then by all means, do a bit of cosmetic renovation. And you, what you would do is you'd call your bank up and you say, I want to increase the loan on my house. And right. they go, sure. Um, and then they get a valuation done. Now, the reason you've done the work is so when the valuer walks in to your place, they will see the value of the house that you're living in and how it looks once the renovation is complete. The, the uplift is complete. And that might lift the value of your property from say 500 to 550. Let's call it that. Maybe, maybe 575 at a push five, six, uh, 600, let's say. Okay. And then they go, okay, well, the value of your home is 600. Therefore, if you want to increase your debt, you can increase your debt to five, uh, let's call it 480. 
Um, and therefore we can give you a little extra cash and you can go and do what you want with the money. So that would be AY. Uh, and that's how you can monetize the, the uh, change that you've made your property. Mm. If you are looking to sell your property, so we live here, we, we're living in it, and I want to sell it for more. I think it's worth 500 a day. I want to sell it for more. You would absolutely do your cosmetic renovation. So you'd paint it, do the carpets, clean the bathroom, do great gardening work, um, and you would lift the value that way. And then you would declutter. So any photos you've got, you'd take off uh, and hang and stack, um, put away. You would um, move out of your house. And even if you lived in a, uh, a hotel room for a month, um, or moved into the next place that you're going to move into. But you would move out and then you would leave it vacant and then you'd get some professional staging company to come in, professionally stage it. It'll cost a bit, but it's worth mm. it. Professionally stage it. And that will lift the, the paint work you've done, the um, gardening work, the presentation work and the staging work will lift the value of your house potentially to 600, 570, 600 without too much difficulty. And that will make you more money. So that's a way of realizing the effort, although it's better that you don't live there when you're trying to sell it. Um, so there are two ways. If you want to increase the rent, so let's say we're not living there. Let's say we're renting it now. It's one of our investment properties. If we want to increase the rent, there are a number of ways you can do that. Um, generally speaking, you don't want to do any renovation work while somebody's living there. So you do this yeah. between tenants. Um, but if you lift the overall perception of lifestyle convenience in the house, then you will get a higher price. So make it look more pleasant, more enjoyable, more operational, more functional to be there, easier to live there, more enjoyable to live there, and people will pay more for it. So again, you paint it, you do the floors, you clean the floors, you do some gardening if you've got land there, um, and you just do what you could to present it really well for when people walk through to say, oh, I like this place, I will rent this one. And that will give you an income lift from your rental. Do you, do you know why people might feel some sort of hesitancy to get involved with some more of the, the more professional but maybe lesser known professionals that are involved in the, in the property industry when it comes to helping people with investing, getting a broker, having a buyer's agent, all of those, those team members that you could have. Do you, do, you, do you know why people might be hesitant to get involved with those people? Yeah, trust. Hmm. There's, a, there's an ethos out there, trust no one. Um, a, a mate of mine from decades ago, um, really lovely old bloke, uh, had four basic rules. Trust no one, assume nothing, check everything and get it in writing. Mm. And now if you exist out of that ethos, then you're guarded in everything that you do. Yeah. Yep. Um, now, frankly, I've got, I've got no problem with that as an ethos, as an approach. Right. Don't, I'm not saying close the door and, and hide yourself in a shell to be safe. I think that's backwards. Yeah. But um, by all means, be guarded. Yeah. What is it? Mm. Uh, there was a catch cry on television many years ago about um, uh, terrorism, which was um, be alert, not alarmed. So again, it's the same approach. Yeah. Now, um, real estate agents themselves are uh, 
wonderful people who are there to support you, but the primary objective is to put food on the table and a roof over their head. That's their primary objective. Right. Um, their job is to their job and their only job as a real estate agent is to get the vendor to come to terms with the buyer and vice versa so that there's an agreement on price and terms. Mm. That's it. So they'll negotiate the vendor down and then negotiate the buyer up for the purpose of making agreement, and in which case then commissions get paid and they get fed. Mm. And it's just the nature of the beast. No right or wrong, no harm, no foul. It's just the nature of the beast. And if we understand that, then we get to walk in with the guarded approach, knowing full yeah. well that what gets said is being said for the purpose of meeting agreement between vendor and buyer uh, and, the, and the potential sale of a property. All right. There are many service providers and they each carry reputations within the uh, broader society for the purpose of um, trust and trustworthiness. You go to an accountant and most people trust accountants. You go to a solicitor and most people have an element of faith with solicitors that they're going to be protected by what the solicitor says. It's their job. They get paid and there's a legal uh, position that they have to honour that with you, their client. So there's going to be some trust that's already intrinsically available there. Buyer's agents, again, you're paying a buyer's agent to go and find you stock, to go and find you a property. Buyer's agents, I, I have a lot of time for buyer's agents. I think they're, they're quite good. But then there are buyer's agents who are all about food on, food on table, roof overhead. And then there are buyer's agents who are all about service and doing the great sort of job for you. Right. And they have a different approach. Hmm. Um, so a buyer's agent, if you tap into a buyer's agent, I'm looking for an investment property. Um, there might be some buyer's agents out there that go, I do a bit of search. I will go and find some deals. And my 300 people who are interested in buying property, I'll just tell them all what it is that they can look for. And if anyone buys one, wonderful. Now, that's a bit of a hands-off approach. And a, yeah. you know, There are other buyer's agents who go, what is your need? What are you after? Let me go and find what you're specifically after on the premise that I can find it for you. And if I do find it, that you're committed to actually doing something about getting it. And that's a very, very different approach. So buyer's agents have a broad brush uh, assessment attached to them. Um, My encouragement is make sure that if you're going to get a buyer's agent, you've got a relationship-based buyer's agent who is there to support you and what you want. The requirement there, of course, though, is you need to be clear on what you want. Hmm. If you go, oh, I'm looking for an investment property. Oh, cool. Well, tell me what you want. I want one that makes me money. Okay. Tell me what you want. I don't care as long as it makes me money. You know, well, thanks for sharing. I, I don't hmm. know how to help you with that. That's not yeah, enough information. Yeah. It's not very specific. Yeah. yeah. So um, whereas people are looking for their own home and a buyer's agents engage for the purpose of helping them to get their own home is... Um, if they're very clear on the details of what they want, can help them and bid for them or negotiate for them. And they generally do, and I know a couple of very good ones, they do a good job for, the, for their people. Um, so what other service providers are you thinking that, that um, uh, are questionable or doubt? The property mentor, for example. Now, going into the model that you were talking about, you know, I'm a property mentor. Um, going into the model that you were talking about, which is the why do they not trust property mentors or why don't they go to property mentors? Because a lot of people have done this on their own for a long period of time and it's an ethos of don't trust anybody and it's all my money and 
there's an understanding nobody's going to care about your asset like you do. Quite frankly, I agree with that. Nobody will mm -hmm. care about your assets like you do. Okay. Um, then there's a certain guarded approach to saying, no, 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 I'll do it and I'll do it myself. The, obviously, the twin edge or the other side of the sword, twin edge sword, the other side of the sword, which cuts rather than, than defends, um, is that I don't know what I'm doing mostly, and they're not me personally, but but when people are out there, I don't know what I'm doing, and I'm hoping, I'm praying I'm getting it right, and the chances of getting it wrong are actually quite high. For but sure. they won't ever know that. Mm. Uh, and there is a, an, um, a base property investing approach which says time will heal all wounds. So if you buy something and pay too much for it, and you just don't ever know that you've paid too much for it. 20 years from now, you're not going to care that you paid too much for it because it's gone up in value. And you'll pat yourself on the back that it's a great investment. It could have been significantly better and it could have been a very different outcome, but that doesn't matter. You're okay 20 years from now. Yeah. Anything that you buy and hold, provided it goes up over time, then you're going to feel okay about and it's not going to be a, a miserable investment for you. Um, it's the, the difference between a property mentor and non-property mentor, someone who knows what they're doing versus someone who doesn't know what they're doing, is the amount of money you can make from it. But you'll never know the difference if you don't know what, you, what the difference is when you're looking mm. to buy it. Ignorance is bliss in a certain way, I figure. Correct. Yeah. Which is why people go, yeah, you know what? I trust myself. I don't trust anybody else. Uh, I'll go and play this game on my own and I'll be right. Mm. Should be right, mate. It's something I wonder a lot about, I guess, Brendan, because, yeah, like I, I say this to my dad, too, with the broking side of things, but I would never try and fix my own car. Maybe you're good with cars. I don't know. But like, I'm not good with no, cars. I'm good with houses. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So I would rather pay someone to fix my car. They're a mechanic. That's that's what they do. It's their job. And I'd rather have you or some other, uh, another, an analyst or a buyer's agent and a broker involved as part of a team, if that's if that's the the path I want to go down to, to build up a portfolio, I would rather try and get people involved who know way more about this than me, who have been in the game a lot longer than me. Some of them have been in the game longer than I've been alive. So I'd rather invest my, my time and invest my money with those people uh, in a similar way to if my car's you know, if my clutch falls out of my car and I need a new clutch, I'm going to a mechanic. And I hope more people start considering it that way. But again, yeah, it's I've never heard that that ethos of trust no one. Get get it all in writing. I like that one. That's fair. get it all in writing. <laughs> yeah. Trust no one. Assume nothing. Check everything and get it in writing. I I actually I I can uh, empathize with most of those. Trust no one can can be a bit problematic down the line, depending on how agreed agreed to that one. But again, but that goes else, back to no, the yeah. But that goes back to the be alarmed, not a, be alert, not alarmed. For sure. You know, if you if you walk in with your eyes open yeah. about what can go wrong and what the worst case scenario and what the risks are, then you can know with confidence the decisions you're making. For sure. And that's a really powerful way to be to be able to to walk in strong and confident. That's all I had for you, Brendan. I, I wondered if uh if you could let the listeners know how people might want to get in touch or if if anybody listening wanted to uh, attend any of the seminars you guys hold uh, once or twice sure. a month, I believe, just plug those away. So yeah, every now and again, once a month, once every couple of weeks, once every three weeks, we're actually a little irregular on that. Okay. Um, we do a, a, a live webinar 
uh, and we do it on a variety of different topics. Uh, and probably once every two months, we do a three-hour webinar, live webinar event on a Saturday morning. Um, now, if you wanted to be a, a listen to those, and again, there's there's a lot of value that that comes from hearing and being in the conversation. And we do things differently. We we are not your common uh, share of information. We're not your common property investor. We are we are I would class us as um, I guess an elitist group of um, knowledge brokers for being able to do property and property investing well and efficiently. Uh, if you wanted to participate in those webinars, uh, you're more than welcome and they're free events. Um, probably the most direct path would be to uh, email us, uh, mentor at resultsmentoring.com would get us there. So if you, if you email mentor at resultsmentoring.com, Say, hi, I want to be on your mailing list. I want to get information about when your podcasts or when your webinars are. Um, just uh, put me on your list so that I can get that information. That'd be great. Mm. Um, so, yeah, mentor at resultsmentoring.com. Um, or actually, if you know how to get in touch with Damien, forward information to Damien and Damien will forward it to me. There's a yeah, way for forward. sure. Yeah, and I'll put I'll put that email address in the um the description box for the podcast too, sure. so if people can can get in touch. I've taken a lot away from from this podcast information wise. Plus, I've got a new ethos to to consider, and I've got <laughs> a new thing to add to my uh, my business card that I'm going to steal from you, which is knowledge broker. <laughs> <laughs> That's a great term. I'm going to add that. That's a great term, knowledge broker. Makes me sound Beautiful. really smart. <laughs> I appreciate it. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you again for the time. I really appreciate it, Brandon. Damien, a pleasure, mate. Well done. Thank you. Easy. Thank you, sir.